Well, good morning, Axis Church. How's everybody doing? Good. I am on the end of a cold. I'm on the. I'm, I've had it for a week. So if my voice gives out, well, we'll just have to see what happens. You know, it'll be kind of fun today. Hey, I want to give you a little El Salvador update. They sent me pictures this week from the gifts that you guys, all of us, gave on uh, Christmas Eve. So let me show you. We bought windows and doors for them to secure their building. There's their front doors now. And go to the next picture. And there's a guy. Looks like he's locked in there now. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, anyway, so we have a guy we stuck in there. And there's the back doors that they've now uh, put up. And then on the side of the building, you can see all the windows that they did there too. This is going to really secure the building because it's in kind of an area where there is uh, gangs that are, are in that area. And, uh, and so it's nice for them to be able to have some security. Uh, the next thing they're going to do is start the bathrooms, which also we provided. So that's going to be uh, great. And let me let you know about two things that are going to happen with El Salvador coming up. Uh, the next slide. Uh, we have a mission trip coming up July 7th through the 13th. It is $1,750 a person. We will do some fundraising for that uh, within church here. Uh, if you want to go, please let me know. We're going to be having an informational meeting on March 18th. Also, we're going to have a lady from Lifeline Christian Mission. Her name's Audra. She was on our last trip with us. And uh, she's going to be here for Sponsor Sunday, where I have mentioned before we're going to be sponsoring 40 of the children from the Chautauqua Church. And, uh, and so we know those kids, and she's going to be here on March 18th to talk about that. So if you are interested in any of that, please let me know, in particular on the El Salvador trip. And uh, we're going to go ahead and start making our plans for that coming up. Hey, would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much for just the opportunity to come worship you and be refreshed, be renewed. Thank you, God, for our friends in El Salvador. Thank you for Reuben and Regina and their baby they just had. Thank you, God, that we were able to provide uh, for them windows and doors, something we take for granted, bathrooms and a building. And God, just thank you for that. I pray that it would be a blessing to them, that it, they'd be able to continue to reach more people through, uh, through this facility. God, just thank you for um, allowing us to be here today be able to celebrate who you are and to be able to, to be renewed once again and uh, to be ready for another great week. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're in James chapter 3, and I'm going to talk to you about the power of our words, how they offer either blessings or curses. A little fun fact for you here, the average person, this is the average person, not the overly talkative person, not the super shy person, average person, a single day's words would fill up a 50-page book. In a year's time, the average person's words would fill 132 books of 200 pages each. And some of you guys are like, I'm not on that scale at all. I, I hardly talk at all, but some of you guys, you may look at your wife and go, you'd fill a whole lot more than that, honey. I'm telling you, a whole lot more than that. But the point is that all of us talk, and we are creations of God. And God created us to be those who communicate, and He's a creative God, He's a communicative God, and so we are like Him in that. And friends, what we learn is what we say matters. The Jewish believers must have had some issue with this, because in chapter 1, James told them, be slow to become angry, quick to listen, and slow to speak. He said in chapter 2, the believer who doesn't bridle his tongue, his religion is worthless. And now, here we are in chapter 3, and he tells them to watch what they say. And what I want you to know is, you cannot underestimate the destructive power of your words. James chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know those who teach will be judged more strictly. 
James starts by saying, those of you who want to teach, realize that your words matter. What you teach matters, and how you live matters. And he also says to all of us who are listeners or learners, be careful who, are you, who you are learning from. Make sure that they are teaching the truth. And that's why we always teach right from the Word of God. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself set by fire on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I mean, think about the power of those words. Your tongue is full of deadly poison. He says no one can tame their tongue and will be ultimately itself destroyed by the fire of hell. Those are powerful words from James about the, about the power of our words. And he compares them to a bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder on a ship that while it's small, it has a significant impact. And verse 6 says, the tongue is like a forest fire, a raging fire that will scorch people and that will char people and incinerate people. Verse 9 actually tells us that we can curse God with our tongue. Think about that. The very small, one of the smallest parts of the body can, can curse the very God who made it. Now I want you for just a minute to think through over your life. Can you think of times where maybe in junior high or elementary school or maybe with a friend or maybe your parent said something to you or maybe it was a spouse who said something that was cutting to you? Do you remember that? Think about it. Can you right now as you sit there remember that moment where someone said something that was so impactful to you that even today you can still remember it? I remember in seventh grade, I dated this one girl for a very short period of time, and, and we broke up, and I, I don't remember if she broke up or I broke up, but back then you just broke up willy-nilly, didn't really matter, right? And, uh, but I remember passing her and a friend in the gym, and they said some things that were so horrible, so crass, I could not repeat them today, but at 47 years old, I still remember their words. Now, they don't have an impact on me today. But it's amazing that I still remember them today. But what about something more recently? What about a spouse or what about a parent who has said something to you? Words are destructive. And if you look at the whole of Scripture, the Bible tends to emphasize three sins of the tongue. It it talks about lying, slandering, or gossip, and devaluing somebody. And when it comes to lying, the ninth commandment in the Bible is do not lie. Ever. The Bible says lying breaks the heart of God because God in his fundamental essence is a God of truth. And so every time we lie, we are, we are going against that promise keeper, that covenant keeper who is God. And when we lie, it destroys trust with other people. I mean, don't you know that when someone consistently lies to you, that maybe you'll be an acquaintance of theirs, but you'll always be on edge. You'll never be able to fully trust them. And you say, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to fully trust. I'm just going to hold back something here because I know they're not going to be honest with me. And lying also corrupts our soul. Every time you tell a lie, there's an internal dismemberment of your character that happens every time that you lie. So the Bible says, don't lie. And don't slander. Don't gossip. This is passing on damaging information about one person to somebody else. The information could be true or it could be not true. But the person who's giving that information doesn't care whether or not it's true. They just want to share the information. And maybe some of you guys have been on the receiving end of that. Maybe you've been on the giving end of that. We all know how it goes. Oh, hey, you know, you know Joe, right? I mean, did you hear about him? No, I didn't hear about Joe. Oh, you didn't? Oh, I probably shouldn't say anything. That's just code for please ask me because I want to tell you what Joe did. And then what, you know, what about Joe? And you're like, well, okay, I'll tell you just because you asked. And so then you tell them about Joe. Joe is upside down in his finances, and his 18-year-old kid is a dope addict and sleeping in the wrong bed, and Joe's got a gambling problem, whatever it is. And then you listen to what they say. They both shake your head as if you're in some moral high ground over Joe. You're like, oh, that's a poor guy. I can't believe he even did that. That's slander. That's gossip. The Bible says that's a, a tremendous evil. It's one of the darkest things that you can do. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, you understand it. I mean, every week we are hearing stories of young people who are on the receiving end of slander or gossip through social media and how those individuals, those teenagers, are then despairing of life and even taking their life based on what someone else has said to them. And God is saying, don't do that. Do not let that junk come out of your mouth. Do not say something about someone else that is disparaging. Do not do it. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building other people up. The Apostles Paul said, Don't let anything come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building other people up. And can I offer you a little extracurricular activity? If someone comes to you and they're saying something disparaging about somebody else, I like to just say, time out. Time out. Hold on. Now, when you say that, let me just ask you, have you gone to the other person and talked to them? And they say, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't dare go to the other person and tell them. And you say, well, if you haven't told them, then don't tell me what you're going to say about the other person. And so I've tried to do that over the years because um, I know how damaging it is when somebody just wants to come. They want to triangle the other person. They want to talk about the other person. And they don't want to have accountability for their beliefs or their thoughts. The Bible is very clear on this. Matthew chapter 18, if you have any offense, any trouble, anything that concerns you, go to that person. Go to that person. It's one of the most helpful relational laws in Scripture. Anytime you hear junk about somebody, just go to that person. Years ago when I was in uh, my first ministry in Bluntville, Tennessee, back when I was a hick, and I've got some old sermon tapes you should hear, but anyway, but I, back, in, back in those days, I would preach, and I was the youth guy, and and uh, some of the elders of the church did not like the way that the preacher, the actual preacher, preached. And they didn't like it, and they would talk about him. And they would eventually come to the place where they would talk to me about it. I'm 21 years old. I'm still in college at the time. And they would tell me, we don't like the way that he preaches. And I would just nod my head and just kind of, yeah, okay. And what I realized after like the second or third time was that every time that I nodded my head, I was giving them affirmation that maybe I agreed with them. And so at some point along the way, I just 
said, look, guys, I, I can't do anything about this. This is not between me and you. This is between you and him. You need to have the courage to go tell him what you think and then offer him encouragement. And so what I realized was even nodding my head was like I was acknowledging what they were saying. And I'm just saying it's a lot better to say, hey, time out. And friends, listen, I really believe that we are living in the most slander-intensive era in history. Unsubstantiated rumors are everywhere these days. You look at any newspaper or magazine or TV or on the news or or you look on the Internet, and, and in my lifetime, I can never recall having more quotes from more unnamed sources in my life. And before you know it, charges are bannered about and and they get fixed in people's minds. And even before someone offers a defense, the person is already guilty. Friends, this is a crazy world. And we are never going to live, a lo- build a loving, just, and honorable society with the kind of junk and slander and rumor mongering that goes on. God says this breaks people's hearts. It ruins people's lives. Steer clear of slander and gossip. And can I also say, let your home be a slander-free environment also. Let your workplace be a slander-free environment. Let the church of Jesus Christ be a slander-free environment. Let's all be on the solution side of making that happen and saying, hey, time out. Don't talk about that person. You go to them. Now, another way that we damage with our tongue is through devaluing people with your words. Matthew 5.22 says, I say to you, whoever calls his brother or sister worthless, whoever says you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fires of hell. You don't think Jesus is serious about the power of words? Listen to what he just said. That your power of words, that you'd be guilty enough to go into the fires of hell. Man, the words of Jesus rarely get tougher than that. Friends, every single time you look into the eyes of another human being, you're looking into the eyes of someone for whom Jesus Christ shed his blood. You're looking into the eyes of someone who is a prayer away from being in eternity with you. James and Jesus would say, don't ever use words that devalue people. You've probably heard me say before, you should always respect people. No matter what their class, their race, their religion, their ethnicity, their IQ or their socioeconomic status, always, always respect people. You say, why? Because they were a creation of God. And every creation of God deserves respect. Now, at the same time, I don't trust everybody, but I do respect. And I don't trust everybody because you realize trust is earned. You realize that trust is something that comes over time. And so I don't want to be ignorant, and I don't want to get caught up in not being discerning. But at the same time, I want to be respectful. Jesus said, if you are using disrespectful kinds of words, you do so at your own peril. Because God does not like us devaluing other people. So let me just be personal. Parents, are you using disparaging words with your kids? Do you condemn them, criticize them? Spouses, do you use words that only build up your spouse? Or are you one that you find saying things that are disparaging to your spouse? How about to your boss behind their back? Do you say things that are disparaging? Anytime you diminish, diminish someone with your words, you are dishonoring the God who created them. Uh, several years ago, when I was in my, uh, my first preaching ministry in Columbus, Ohio, 
I had a boat. I bought it from Harold and Winetta Maffini. They had it out in their barn. It was a Mark Twain, 1967, all fiberglass, but so heavy it barely floated. It was ridiculous. It had a little force motor that was like a very small little force motor. If on the best day with just a little tailwind, I could get it up to about 21 and be able to like actually have a tube behind it. All right. So this is the kind of boat it was. And so I bought it for $600, and then I painted it and fixed it up a little bit. But I had a friend named Russ, and Russ wanted to maybe buy a boat, and so I thought I would sell it to him. I actually ended up selling it to him for $1,200. I doubled my money with my friend. That's probably not a good thing. But anyway, so anyway, so we go out, and he's like, hey, let's go out, and we're going we're gonna to ride on this boat. Let's try it out. I said, that's good. So we take it to Caesars Creek. And as we do that, I make sure to tell him, you have to put the plug, the drain plug, in. And make sure you flip it one way because this is the way that it tightens. The other way you put it in, if you flip it the other way, it will not tighten. It will just come out. He says, okay, that's great. I put the plug in. We end up going out on the, on, the, on the water. He's there with his child as well. We're out there. And I'm getting it up to about, oh, the max speed of 21 miles an hour. It's great. But then all of a sudden, I realize the boat is starting to get pretty sluggish. And now we're, dry, we're going down to about 18. Now we're about 17. I'm like, what is happening here? And I realize... And I look underneath, I realized that plug, my plug, had gone into the hull underneath the boat, underneath where we were standing on the deck. And somehow it had popped out, and I was taking on water like crazy. So much so that like the boat was hardly moving. I took my sock off and stuck it in the drain hole just because I knew I didn't want to sink this thing to the bottom of Caesars Creek. We finally got it right to the edge. And it took everything that we had to pull that thing out. It was so waterlogged. And uh, we, we just left it on the, uh, on, the, on the trailer there for quite a while as the water just drained out. Because I don't think the tires would have been able to handle it. And uh, he ended up buying that thing anyway. I think he ended up feeling sorry for me because of, uh, <laughs> because of my stupidity. I said, there, I did that for you. I said, I want you to know. See, I told you, you got to put the bl- drain plug in right. If not, it's a very dangerous situation, Russ. And so he ends up buying it. And what I want to say to you parents, to those of you who are spouses here today too, that when you give diminishing words to your children, you are adding weight to them. Weight that will not allow them to be successful. When you unplug your words and you say things that are harmful or hurtful to them, they carry those things around like a weight around their neck. And I would just say, do not give extra weight to your children or to your spouse or to a friend. You should always be one to build them up. Harmful words do a lifetime of damage. The second thing I want you to know is that the positive side of this is that amazing amounts of good can result from words that come from your mouth. In fact, James says the first thing that we should do with our tongue is to worship God. And he tells us that our tongue is used to both worship and to to curse, but he he does say we should worship. Have you ever asked yourself, what's the highest value of our words? And I would say the highest value of your words are the words of thanksgiving to God, words of praise and gratitude to Him. Most of us drastically underestimate the value of us simply saying thank you to God. There was a time in the New Testament where Jesus healed 10 lepers, and they were healed, and they went on their way, and they had this terrible disease. Only one of them returned back to Jesus and said, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me. Jesus' reaction was, where are the other nine that were with you? And he said, they did not come back with me. And Jesus was touched by the one. His heart was melted by the one. But at the same time, he was dismayed by the others who didn't come back. 
And I think that tells you something about the heart of Jesus, who appreciates just our thanksgiving to him, who we say just every day, thank you, God. I think you should walk around with that attitude of gratitude that says, God, thank you for loving me. Every morning when you wake up, God, thank you for that new day. Thank you for giving me another day on this earth. Thank you for my family. God, thank you for the church that we're a part of. Help us not take that for granted. God, thank you for just blessing us in this country. For reasons I do not altogether understand, God's heart is warmed by the thanksgiving of his people. And right now, even as I'm talking, if you're sitting next to somebody who you really love, you should just look at them in your own mind and say, just God, thank you so much for them. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my husband. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for my friend who I'm sitting next to. Every time, be thankful to God. Parents, you understand this from a parental perspective. When your child comes to you and says, thank you for what you did, it just melts your heart, doesn't it? Years ago, my mom and dad, were, we were at a conference together called the North American Christian Convention. And, and I was there, and I was in college at the time, or maybe just out of college. And, and so we were there in, 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 in the hotel room. And before we went to bed that night, I just said, Mom and Dad, I want to tell you something. I just want to say thank you. And we're like, for what? I said, just thank you. Thank you for just raising me in a godly home. And thank you for introducing me to Jesus. And I just want to say thank you. And when you're on the receiving end of a thank you, a genuine thank you, it just warms your heart, doesn't it? And I would say that that should be what we give to everybody, affirming life-giving words. And when we worship God and say thanksgiving to Him, He is appreciative of those words. And I would say also we give those affirming life-giving words to other people. Mark Twain once said, I can live two months on one good compliment, and I'm almost ashamed to admit how much affirming words mean to me. You know what James says, Jesus says, and others say in Scripture, your words can breathe unbelievable amounts of life and confidence and joy into others. You don't have to be rich to be complimentary. You don't have to be educated to be thankful to somebody. You don't have to live in a certain place or drive a certain car. It does not cost you anything to just give encouraging words to other people. Uh, for a long time in my office, I had a file and of encouraging letters that people would give. And when other letters were written or other emails were given, it was good to go to that file and go, okay, I'm doing a good job. I need to stay in there. There are people that it's actually mattering to those letters of encouragement. And when someone says to you, good job, way to go, doesn't that make a difference to you? Don't your children need to hear that? Doesn't your spouse need to hear that? Hey, good job, team. We could have done this without you. Glad you're here. You came through for us. All of those statements. Don't you think that we should continue to be that kind of a church? Hey, thank you for serving my kids today. Thank you for, um, thank you for taking care of them because we really, we really appreciate it. Thank you for allowing me to have an opportunity to worship while you sat back here with our children. really appreciate that. Thank you for leading worship today. Sherry, thank you for playing piano today so faithfully, even though it's difficult today. Thank you all for just being a part of what we do here. Encouraging words make such a difference. And ultimately, those encouraging words are a reflection of what is in our heart. And that's what James tells us. It's also what Matthew said in Matthew 12. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Good people bring good things out of the good stored up in them. Evil people bring evil things out of the evil things stored up in them. This is a bit sobering. Because once in a while, even still these days, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I can use words in a harmful way. 
I can say something sarcastically or something that's curt or less than loving. I can use humor in a destructive way. And just the other night, we were watching um, a CrossFit workout as a group, and one of the guys on there was wearing a certain pair of shorts that I thought were kind of funny. And, and so I busted on this guy for wearing these pair of shorts. Now, he didn't know that. Um, he was on TV. And people laughed, and it was, it was pretty humorous, actually. I can be really sharp when I'm sarcastic. But what I realized when I left that night was I don't think that was a very good representation of who I am. Um, I should be careful not to just bust on that guy for his shorts or what have you. And, and um, while it's a small thing and it's easily excused, I guess, at the same time, the sobering thought is that it reveals things. And James says you have to look internally and say when you have a consistently critical tongue, he says, I want to show you somebody, when you're consistently critical on the outside, there's something going on on in the inside. Maybe when you're critical on the outside, maybe you're bitter on the inside. Or you show me somebody with a deceitful or slandering tongue, I'll show you somebody with a desperate, desperately needing, needy and troubled heart. You show me somebody who is profane uh, or coarse, and I'll show you someone whose heart is far from God, because our words reflect what is the condition of our heart. But on the other hand, James would say, show me somebody with worshiping words and lips. I will show you someone who speaks loving words, someone who is constantly breathing life and hope and value into people by flooding them with affirming words. I'll show you somebody that's heart, heart delights in God, somebody who, who Christianity means something to them, and it goes back to the matter of their heart. And the Bible says, look, Christianity is not a self-improvement deal. Really, none of us, the Bible says, can change our tongue. Even James said, you as a person, you cannot change your tongue. But God in his transforming power can change our heart and therefore changes what comes out of our mouth. We should be an affirming people. Use your mouth for its highest purpose, saying words of thanksgiving and praise to God. Say loving things out of a loving heart to people in your life. And give life-giving and affirming words that are people to people in your circle of influence. And when you do, you will start to see the tide turn in your relationships. I want to encourage you to do that today. And for a moment, I just want to pray. And together, let's just thank God for His incredible love for us. God, thank you today for your love and your just incredible grace. We don't deserve it. We sure need it. God, thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, and for seeing us through the eyes of grace and mercy. Thank you, God, for the friendships that we have and value so much, and for allowing us to just be part of a church like this that loves people. Some of the deepest friendships are here in this place. God, we, we don't want to take that for granted. We want to tell you thank you for that. Thank you, God, for those that serve today, those that are in ministry and are Thank you, God, for the staff that serves here. And pray, God, they'd feel encouraged by the people that are here. And pray they'd be lifted up. Told you're doing a good job. I know you're on the forefront. I know that it's difficult. I know that you handle people's burdens. But we just want to say thank you. Thank you, Josh, for what you do. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Aaron and Jess. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Andrew. God, thank you for the team that you've provided here and for those who serve. And God, just thank you for their ministry, for Aaron, what she does, and for those in children's ministry.
God, thank you for those who volunteer and for giving us the gifts of those who just take their time and energy to, to love other people. God, I pray they would leave this place today. They'd feel encouraged. Thank you for those who lead worship here today, God. Thank you for David and for Rob and for, for those who sing and play. So we love you, God. We thank you for allowing us to be part of this country. And God, I know there's a lot of slandering and difficult things that are said about our country, God. But we thank you for blessing us. We thank you for the freedom that we have. We just want to say, God, we, we hope we can change our attitude to be those who aren't anxious, to be those who aren't burdened, weighed down, but instead to be people of peace, people of joy. We pray for that today in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior.